0: So today we're going to start a new teaching series. It's going to run for the next four weeks. And it's called Brand New. And our brand new teaching series is gonna we're gonna start, we're gonna look at the beginning of the life of the Apostle Paul. So that's where we're gonna go with it. And this morning I, I want to talk about the topic, I want to address the topic called getting past your past. Getting past your past. First time I ever came to the states in 1984. I've shared this before. I spoke at a pastors' conference in Virginia Beach, and then after that, I uh, I was going to go to Delaware to visit uh, an old friend from Bible college days in England uh, that I hadn't seen for years, who was pastoring in Delaware. I was preaching in Virginia Beach in the church on the Wednesday night, and I was due to speak at an event in Delaware on. Thursday morning, so we were trying to work out the best way for me to get there, and uh, the conclusion was a Greyhound bus. Now, living in the UK, I'd seen plenty of American movies, and nothing good ever happened on a Greyhound bus. (laughs) So I was really not looking forward to an overnight trip on a Greyhound bus. And then suddenly my friend said to me, hey, somebody's been checking, and you know what? This is crazy, but you can fly there out of Norfolk. There's a flight at 10.30 tonight, and it is $19, which seemed too good to be true, but I got it, and uh, I went to check in at Norfolk, and when I went to the check-in desk, the guy said, oh, that's interesting. I said, what? He said, well, we've got a passenger tonight. (laughs) <laughs> and, and then, and I think it was US Air uh, and, and then, I, uh, th- then I go, you know, to the gate area and I'm sitting down there and uh, I'm, I guess I'm early-ish and then the flight crew arrive and they all look at me and I hear one flight attendant say to the other that's a passenger <laughs> so the boarding announcement came and it was me so I walked onto the plane I said to the flight attendant I said uh, weren't you expecting company tonight? And she said no she said this is this is a flight basically it's late night to get the plane where it needs to be for first thing tomorrow morning we have never had a passenger on this flight <laughs> So this was me. I got the royal treatment. I should have asked for first class, but I never thought. Um, but but I. You know, so there was just me. So I go up to Delaware. My friend meets me there. I have the weekend with him. And uh, on Monday, Monday night, I'm going to fly back to the UK out of Dulles Airport in DC. So Monday morning early, we leave and we go over to Washington DC, which I'd never been to before, and I, I was really looking forward to. Uh, and we spent we spent the whole day walking around in DC, and it was like I was. I couldn't believe it, really. So I'm, I'm from this like little little village in the northeast of Scotland, and here I am standing in front of the White House. 84, was Ronald Reagan Prime Minister in 84? Probably was, yeah? Those are the golden years, Reagan and Thatcher, right? Anyway, old men can reminisce, those were the good days. But anyway, that was, um, so it, so we, but the thing, you know what really impressed me most in DC? And I've got to tell you, it's from all we see. I came and I, we, we went up the steps and I stood inside the Lincoln Memorial. And I looked at that, and with the little that I knew, I'm like, wow. I, I like felt like I was in the presence of greatness. I really did. Now, you know, I, I, I looked there and, you know, there's the Gettysburg Address on one side, and there's his second inaugural address on the other side. And then above him, this, the towering statue of him seated. It says, in this temple, as in the hearts of the people for whom he saved the union, the memory of Abraham Lincoln is enshrined forever. And I stood there in awe. Wow. Now, what I didn't know as a foreigner was I had no idea of Lincoln's background or history. Of course, you all know that because you studied American history diligently in school, didn't you? But that's, you know, I I had no idea of his background that that he was born into a really poor family in a log cabin in Kentucky, that his father was basically an uh, illiterate wandering laborer. His mother was a sickly woman who died when he was nine years old. No idea of all that kind of background. I thought great man was probably born into greatness. I had no idea that Lincoln one time applied to law school and and his application was just laughed at because he was so unqualified. Then he started a business when he was very young. He borrowed a lot of money from a friend to start the business. The business failed. He had to declare bankruptcy and he spent the next 17 years repaying his friend because he felt that was the right thing to do. I had no idea of all that. He fell in love. He got engaged. And six months later, his fiancée died. And he stayed in bed for six months, suffering from awful depression. I had no idea of that. I just saw the great man. That over a 20-year period, he stood for election for an unbelievable amount of offices and apart from one term in congress he failed every time nobody 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 voted for him or nobody nobody not enough to elect him and then of course he was elected president in 1860 but he was dogged by failure for the first 51 years of his life. And then, of course, he was assassinated at the age of 56. So he was president for five years, but actually his life was kind of a mess and a disaster for the 51 years leading up to that. But the reality is we remember him and we revere his memory because he, he was the person who led this country through some of its most difficult years of its history. Five years that totally eclipse the fifty-one years full of failures of one kind and another of heartbreak and of weakness that had gone on ahead of time. You see, the thing is, sometimes when we when we meet someone or when we read about someone, we get the idea, particularly if they're someone who seems to have achieved uh, special f- things that. W- we, we have the idea, you know, uh, you know, it's okay for them, life's good for them, life's okay with them, and what we fail to realize is this, everybody has a past, and one of the key parts for us to achieve what God wants in our lives is we've got to get past a lot of our past. I, I, I've, got, um, I've got satellite radio in the car, and I... I like to listen to the old gospel songs on it. Okay, now don't get me wrong. I love the stuff we do here on Sundays. Uh, I really do. I love the, the contemporary stuff. But there's a lot of memories attached to the old stuff. And I was listening a few weeks ago, and I heard a song, uh, and it, that it goes like this. It says, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. I like that. Every saint, not talking about people in stained glass windows in cathedrals, we're talking about the fact that in the New Testament he refers to every follower of Jesus as a saint. Truth is, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And when we come to look at the life of St. Paul, the truth is this, you might see him as the great preacher, you might see him as a central figure in the New Testament, but Paul had a past. He had a past that actually most people would think would have disqualified him from God using him in any way. And that's where I want to come into the life of Paul this morning. He's introduced by his former name of Saul. And, and the, background, the background is this. After the ascension of Jesus back to heaven, the start of the early church, the, the church in Jerusalem began to grow like crazy. But the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they were threatened by this, and uh, they, they really wanted to do their best to try to stifle it. As the church grew, the apostles realized they needed others to help them in different ways. So they got some people to help them with the practical things to do with the life of the early church. One of them was a man named Stephen. And as Stephen started to do some of the practical things. He was one of the group that was uh, in charge of looking after the needs of the widows in the church. But he started to do other things. And he began to preach. And he was a powerful and a very effective preacher. And he was such an effective preacher that he, he was, became one of the targets for the Jewish religious leaders. And they hauled him in front of them and they said to him, you can't do this anymore and you shouldn't do this. And, and he started preaching to them and at them. And then in Acts chapter 7 verse 57, here's where I want to take a look just now. Here's what it says. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. And now in full stampede, they dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats And asked a young man named Saul to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin, his last words. Then he died. Saul, Paul, was right there congratulating the killers. That's our first introduction to Paul. Every saint has a past. Paul's the guy who was there as Stephen was being stoned to death, and he was the one who was encouraging the people that were doing it. He said, hey, you're taking your coats off to throw rocks at this guy. You know, I'll look after your coats for you. Leave yourself with me. I'm good. And as they killed him, he congratulated the killers. Now, sometimes we think, you know, the apostle Paul Hey, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans, which is one of the greatest doctrinal books in the New Testament. He wrote two letters to the Corinthians, which were there to correct a lot of the issues that were going on. It gave a lot of guidance and still do to church life. He wrote the letter to the Galatians that reminded the believers there that they needed to continue to live in their freedom as children of God and not get bound up again by a lot of religious rules and regulations. He wrote some incredible stuff that is part of our New Testament. In fact, if you didn't know, you'd think he'd been born a Christian. You met people like that sometimes? You think, yeah, they were born good. It's okay for them. It's like, you know, as soon as he came out, he was baptized, and he was perfect from that day on. You'd think that. But the truth, is, the truth is this, every sinner's got a past. Our first glimpse of him is him cheering on the people who were killing one of the most prominent men in the early church. Then. The, the fact is his robes may well have been spattered with the blood of Stephen. He hated the name of Jesus. He hated Christians. In fact, I was trying to think of this. I'm picturing Paul encouraging people, stoning Stephen. And I I was, you know what I was thinking? Don't think badly of me. That if I was there at the time, I don't want him to throw a brick at him. Like, really, like, it's like, you know, you can't do this. You mustn't do this. But he was an angry man in what he thought was a good cause. Paul was a man with a past, and every one of us sitting here today are people with a past. But the challenge is we need to get past our past and to move fully into what God's got for us. And the truth is, whatever our past may be, God's still got plans for every one of our lives. So let's take a look at a couple of things here. All right, let's acknowledge this first of all. Everyone has a past. Everyone has a past. Paul came from a place called Tarsus which was a bustling city. His father was one of the religious leaders. He was a Pharisee and that means that Paul would have been raised with strict Jewish religious codes. It means that he wouldn't have had anything to do with people who were not Jewish. It means that he would have gone through an incredible amount of classes And he would have been raised totally to follow the Old Testament rules that were given by Moses. Kept apart from any other kids. In other words, he grew up a self-righteous religious bigot. And that's being nice. He grew up thinking he was special, he was different, and he was better than anybody else was. That was his background. And because of that, he despised other people. He looked down on people who were not part of his faith. He looked, part, he looked down on people who were Jewish, who were not as consistent as he was or as he thought that they should be. So that was how he was raised. And then probably when he was in his teens, it says this in Acts in 22.3. Acts he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. That was Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So here what he's saying is this. I was born in Tarsus, but actually I came to Jerusalem, and he studied under one of the leading rabbis in Jerusalem who was known as Gamaliel. Gamaliel. So at an early age, he went there to be taught more and to become more zealous in his particular faith. Actually, just just to point something out here, um, one of the things he would have done with Gamaliel is to really learn to debate and to argue points of faith. And the truth is, nobody knew it at the time. But that was going to stand him in really good stead in the future when he became a follower of Jesus and had to show religious Jewish people from the Scriptures that Jesus really was the Savior, the Messiah. God was preparing him even in that. So here's Paul. He's actually in Jerusalem then. So he's in Jerusalem while all this stuff's going on, following the... Uh, resurrection of Jesus, following the ascension of Jesus. He's there when Stephen is stoned. And then, let's just take a look at the general thing, at what was happening around them in Jerusalem at that time. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, if you're using U version and you want to go there, feel free because we're going to spend a couple of minutes here in Acts 5. I want to just paint the background. So what was happening was more and more people were still becoming followers of Jesus. And the religious leaders were upset about it. So here's what it says in Acts 5 verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So like you know. They're doing their best to get people to come to the synagogue on the Sabbath and keep the rules of the Jewish faith. And yet here are all these people who are new Christians and and they're telling others about it. And loads and loads of people are voluntarily coming to their services and coming to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so you know they, they want to try to slow this thing down or stop it. So they arrest the apostles and they put them in jail. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about the new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. So the religious leaders had them put in jail. In the middle of the night, An angel frees them from jail and says, go back and preach again. So as soon as it's daylight, they go back in the temple court and preach again. I love this next bit. Verse 21. When the high priest and his associates arrived, that is in their meeting place, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. I love that. I love the irony of that. It's like, go get them. So they go to the jail. Say, the guards open the door. We want the prisoners. They open the doors. No prisoners. I love it. Where are they? I don't know. Did you let them go? No, we were here all night. Well, they can't have vanished. They must have done. And so there's this, there's this whole thing going on there. What, what, what on earth is happening? So, so look what happens next in verse 25. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So we told you not to do this. You have filled Jerusalem with this teaching. And you're saying that we're responsible for the death of Jesus, which they were, of course. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Brave men. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed. Said, hey, you're telling people we killed Jesus. So Peter turns around and says, I'm telling you, you killed Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. But God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. So, This is what was going on at the time that Paul was starting to really flex his muscles as one of the leaders in the Jewish faith. And so the leaders here are saying, hey, you you know what? They were so angry they wanted to kill them. And then the Bible says that one of them, whose name actually was Gamaliel, same man that Paul had been trained under, Gamaliel started to talk to them. And Gamaliel said, wait a second, wait a second leave it alone. If this is not from God, then the whole thing will fizzle out. But if this is from God, we can't stop it. And they said, let's leave it there. And that is what they did with one exception. There was one man who just couldn't accept that. There was one man who was so full of anger There was one man who was so determined that he was going to punish Christians that he did not accept that, and he started out to be a one-man wrecking ball to do everything he could to destroy the church, and that was Paul. Right at the start of this series, I just want to establish the fact we're not talking about a perfect human being here. The Bible is not full of the stories of perfect human beings. The Bible is full of the stories of totally flawed flawed human beings who are turned around by the grace of God and made into people whose lives then become very useful to God. And I love that because I can't identify and you cannot identify with absolutely perfect human beings. But we can identify with people whose lives were messed up, but God got a hold of them and God absolutely turned them around. And the reason we can do that is that's us. Amen? Amen? That's us. Everybody has a past. Part of Paul's past was that he hated Christians and did terrible things to them. That's part of his past. That's a huge thing to get over. And every one of us here this morning has a past. You might look back over your life and there are things in your life that you're really sitting here today you wouldn't be so proud of. There are perhaps black things in your own past. Or you might be sitting here today and it's not the things you've done, but it's the things that were done to you that have actually caused you incredible pain, which means that your past is not a good place to be looking. And your past has been something that really uh, is so negative and has been a negative influence on you. The message from the life of Paul is this. However dark your past, God's got a future for you. God's got a future for you. And however dark your past, God's got a future for you. Everyone has a past. But let me then say this no one is beyond hope. (laughs) That's what Paul, that's what the story of Paul shows me. Nobody is beyond hope. In Acts chapter 8. Because he wasn't going to take Gamaliel's advice now and just let things go. Acts 8. And Saul, Paul, just went wild. Devastating the church. Entering house after house after house. Dragging men and women off to jail. Can you imagine that? Can you just imagine that? You're sitting there watching The Bachelor one Monday night. (laughs) All right. No, I don't. I do know it's on because that's when the TV goes off. But if you enjoy it, God bless you, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. We're all different. Praise the Lord. Um, but, no, you're sitting there and then and, and the door's kicked in. And in comes Saul with a bunch of soldiers with him, and, and you know, and he drags men and women, drags them out, throws them into jail. House after house after house after house. He found you were a Christian. You were fair game. And he went and he he dragged them to jail. In Acts 26, he's reflecting on that period of his life. Here's what he says. Backed with the full authority of the high priests, I threw those believers. I had no idea they were God's people. Into the Jerusalem jail right and left. And whenever it came to a vote, take note of this, whenever it came to a vote, I voted for their execution. So he didn't just invade people's homes and drag them into jail for being Christians. He did everything he could to make sure they were executed because they were Christians. I stormed through their meeting places. Imagine that. Bullying them into cursing Jesus. A one-man terror obsessed with obliterating these people. And then I started on the towns outside Jerusalem. Now, we can read that there, but I'm going to tell you this. That is a whole lot to live with even after you've been converted. After he had become a follower of Jesus, he still had, this this had all happened and he had done all of this. Once he was converted, he realized these were actually God's people. He didn't know it back then. But what he now has to live with is, I voted for God's people to be killed. I wrecked homes, I dragged parents away from their homes, from their children, and I caused absolute devastation in the church. That was a lot for him to live with once he became a follower of Christ. You know how you get past your past? I don't want to sound trivial here, but I'm going to tell you this. You've got to realize everyone has got one. Everyone has got a past. See, it's easy perhaps for you to think along the lines of, well, you you know what? People didn't, you know, others don't, haven't been where I've been. Others haven't experienced what I've experienced. Others don't have that kind of background. You might look around church and say, see, all these people, yeah, they were baptized at birth too, but they got no idea where I come from. But you know what? We are all individual. We're unique. We've got our own background. We've got our own story. But the truth is this, every one of us has got a past. Every one of us has got a past. Tend to think, you know, well, I, I got really messed up. I got a raw deal. I got messed up along the way. But to think nobody else did. Listen. I've got this written down here. It might not sound as good as it looked on paper. You know, you might think, well, you know, you've got no idea how bad I, I had it. I, I, and you think everybody else is relatively, has got, had a relatively good time. But... but Okay, here's what I wrote down. I wrote down, sorry, you're not that special. Now, if you're visiting today, you just thought, what a cold guy that is. But I'm trying to be realistic. It's because we can magnify the, the 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 pains of our past if we're not careful, and they become so big in our mind that I've had the worst, and I've and I'm not trying to minimize anything you may have done or had done to you. But what I am saying is this: everybody's got a past in some way. But if we let our past become our focus, if we let our past become the thing that shapes us, then we are going to totally miss out because what we need to do with the grace and the help of God is we need to recognize the past is the past. God has brought me to this present and in God I can have a future. We've got to get beyond it. Everybody has got a past. Listen, we start this life innocent and perfect, right? So you see the cuteness of the newborn baby. But then eventually life kicks in. I mean, that's the truth of it. Life kicks in. And the experience of life begin to shape us. And then we need to have an encounter with Jesus to really reshape us and help us become the people that he intends us to be. We've all got a past. I love what Paul says to Titus, Titus 2 verse 14. It says about Jesus, he offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. Jesus came to free us from a dark, rebellious life. Into this good, pure life. I love that. How do you get past your past? You allow Jesus to bring you from that dark place into the good, pure life that He wants you to have. Whether you were sinned, whether you sinned, or whether you are sinned against. The first step to realize to to getting past your past is to recognize everyone has a past. This is not the thing that is going to stop me. This does not make me so unique that I'm beyond God's reach. In fact, as we go through the story of Paul, I hope you'll be encouraged to realize if God could change his life, God can change my life. The tragedy is so often people dwell in their past and they live in their past and they never get past their past. And you know what? If you keep tending the wound and picking the scab, it's going to be there forever. But you need to come to the place where you are willing, with God's help, to let that go and stop looking behind you and make your purpose to look forward to what God's got for you. Every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. Every sinner has a future. God's got your future. God's got my future. God's future is far greater, far more glorious than anything we might have experienced in the past. And so you know what we need to do? Paul Paul tells the Philippians, he says we need to forget the things that are behind us. If you've got things that still keep you connected to the pain of the past, you need to disconnect from those things or from those places or from those people. I mean, to disconnect from that and to move into what God's got for you. God specializes in new beginnings. God specializes. Next, next Sunday morning, we're going to take a look at how God intervened in Saul's life. I, I, I call that message, you can't fight God forever. There comes a point where. Breaking news. <laughs> God will always win. Yeah. You fight as long as you like, but in the end, he wins. But God specialized. I want to go there next week. And I want to talk about how Saul, Paul, came to have his life be turning around. But, but I, I don't want to leave things just where they are today. On October the 8th, 1871, some of you will remember that. October the, <laughs> October the 8th, 1871, uh, D.L. Moody, who was a famous preacher in, in that era, uh, and pastored in Chicago. Moody preached the evening service in his church, and he just finished preaching, and they were singing the closing song. But the, the, the music and the, the sound of the congregation singing were almost drowned out by fire alarms and fire sirens that were heard going up and down the streets around them. When Moody had finished preaching, he'd said to the people, What I want you to do is I want you to go home and seriously think about your relationship with Jesus and come back next Sunday. And if you're ready to make a commitment to Christ, make it. The fire alarms were actually the start of the Great Fire of Chicago that raged from Sunday evening until Tuesday morning, killing. 300 people, including some of Moody's congregation, making 100,000 people homeless, destroyed 3.3 square miles of the city, including Moody's church. And after that, D.R. Moody said this I have never since dared to give a congregation a week to think about their salvation. God specializes in new beginnings. We're going to talk about how he was converted next week. But I don't want to leave your story till next week. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 it says this, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Or as another translation paraphrases it, When you become a Christian, you become a brand new person inside. How do you get past your past? The starting point is this. You commit your life to Jesus and become a brand new person inside. Does that fix it? No, 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 no. You start the journey there. You start the journey. But you've got to start it someplace. You become a brand new person inside. How do you get past your past? You commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you know what, if you're here today and you say, well, I've committed my life to Christ, I want to encourage you that maybe there's another step you need to pursue. Here's what it says in the book of Romans. Romans 6 and verse 4 says, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And what the Bible is saying there is simply this. It's saying that baptism is like a symbol of something that happens. And what happens in baptism is symbolically, it's like you were buried with Christ, like when he died. And when you come up again out of the water, it's like. The old life's gone, the new life is here. It's a public open testimony and symbol and recognition of the fact the past is gone, I have new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some of you here this morning, and that needs to be your next step. Baptism needs to be your next step. And as it so happens, we're offering baptism three weeks' time. Isn't that convenient? Three weeks from today, we're going to be offering baptism. What's the next step? The next step for some of you in in putting the past behind you and enjoying the life of the new creation is to be baptized. You can actually sign up for that at the front desk through the barn doors on the left as you leave. But the first step for you tonight in getting past your past may be just to recognize Christ is your Savior. Or maybe you're someone who really you know, has a relationship with Jesus, but it hasn't been that close in recent days. And you know, if you start to pull away from Jesus, a bunch of other stuff's going to crowd in there. Your best thing for getting past your past is to get way closer to Jesus. Way closer. So as I close now, I just want to pray with you. I want to pray for those of you that haven't yet committed your life to Christ. Listen, this Sunday morning in this place, God's promise is this. When you become a Christian, you become a brand new person inside. That's God's offer for you. The old to be gone, the new to be yours. And if that's you this morning, I want you to take a moment just now to open your heart to Jesus. Say, Lord, please come into my life. Make me a new person. Make me your child. Father, I thank you.